0: Good morning, everyone. How are we? Good to be here this morning. What? Um, how's your week been? Hope you've had a, a good week. And uh, so, this is a new one. I've never twisted this one, <laughs> so it doesn't go like that. Um, good to good to have you with you. Uh, good to have you with you. What is that? Good to be with you this morning. Um, it's so good to see so many of you this morning. Good to see new faces as well. If if uh, this is your first time to Grace Church, you are so, so very welcome. Um, head to our info point after. Come and say hello. We'd love to get to know you, to, to meet you. Um, we're going to just jump straight into God's Word now. So if you've got a Bible, head to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter 3, verse 8 is where we're going to be jumping off from. Uh, I'm going to just read the passage and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive in. I'm reading for the NIV this morning. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good, and they must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good. But even if you should suffer for what is right, You are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and the water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Christ Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. Amen. It's good stuff. If I was to ask you... If you're a Christian, what aspect of the gospel drew you to Christianity? What, when, when that fancy person speaking on a big old stage and you were called forward, those big moments, what was it that drew you to go forward? What, what was it that caused you to give your life to Jesus? What, what was it? If you're not a Christian... What about Christ brought you this morning? What is it that, that's, that's just in your head that you're just questioning? I'd love to know about this with God. If you are a Christian, what aspect of the gospel story brought you to a place where you say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus? What, what was it? What was it in your own life? I'll give you a few examples. Could it have been God's love for you? Was it someone was preaching the love of God and you're like, yeah, I love that. Love that I'm loved. It could be that. It could be God's sacrifice for you, that he gave his life so that you could enjoy um, eternity. It might be God's grace on your life, the pardon of sin. I've just done so much wrong, but oh God, you, you've taken that on the cross. Is it that? Is it, is it Jesus' victory over sin? Is that what you're just like, I love that? Is it? The hope that you have, hope of eternal life. Now I've got nothing to fear because I've got hope to come. Is it that? What? What aspect? What was it that made you take a step into a faith walk with Jesus? What was it? And uh, whatever aspect it was, I don't think that, uh, and I don't expect it to be what Peter called Christians in. Asia Minor uh, during that passage we just read. I don't think it was what he called them towards. To to enjoy Jesus by living godly lives in whatever they'll face. Verse 9 Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. So living godly lives, yeah? If you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. For it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I didn't sign up for that. That's not what, what what people are people are often stepping into Christianity, into a walk with Jesus. With they're not going. Yep, suffering. I'm coming. Yep, God's love. Yeah, I love that. I love that. But suffering. No thanks. No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't want that. That's, that's that's not what that wasn't in the that wasn't in the contract. That wasn't in the blueprint. That that's not all right. It's better to suffer. That doesn't sound much. Like a freeing God. That doesn't sound like a God who, who, who's free with love and grace and mercy and compassion and victory and pardon of sin. That doesn't sound like it. But, but anyone thinking um, that, uh, uh, yeah, we can, we can get mixed up in that, we can miss Christ when we ignore that idea of what we're called into as Christians. Christians are called into this. And so my heart this morning is that you will see the Christ-likeness of living godly lives in whatever we'll face. So the rest of the morning, we're going to explore what it means to, to live godly lives in whatever we'll face. Um, and so before we do that, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray God will speak to us through his Holy Spirit. And through his words, say, so God, I just I thank you for this morning. I thank you, God, just, just singing earlier, that we can sing your praises again and again. Lord, we can do that through exploring your word, through opening up your word. We can see you. And so I pray as we unpack what, what Peter wrote 2,000 odd years ago, Lord, I just pray that it will, will just transform our hearts Will it stir us, God, to live godly lives and and, and be able to handle that in whatever we face? I pray, God, that as we unpack suffering, as we unpack godly living, I pray, God, that you will speak into our hearts, that you will challenge us and you will change us. I pray. Amen. Amen. So before we, we explore godly living, we need to just, I just want to caveat that very, very quickly. Um, with whatever I say today, we've got to have the main theme of what 1 Peter is pointing towards in our head and a lot of, sort of filter that as we, as we go through. The, the main theme of 1 Peter is elect exiles. That's what, 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 we, um, what, what the, we've titled the series because that is so important as we frame godly living in whatever we'll face. Our godly living... Is a tool for mission. It's not our means of, of being saved. It's not how we get saved. It's not how we earn. It's not how we get better salvation. It's not how we get a better house in heaven or whatever you want to think of it as. That's not its means. Its means is a tool to point p- others to Christ. It's to point other people. It's to model the change that God has done in our hearts and transformed in our hearts to, to a place of worship. We're called to be different and celebrate our difference in this world. And living godly lives in whatever we'll face is, is not adding to anything. It is our worship. It's an action that praises God for our salvation, that we cannot earn it, and it points others to that, it points others to our salvation in Christ. So let's dive in. Godly living, um, um, living godly lives in whatever we'll face means that uh, all Christians... Are called to it, all Christians. It applies to all believers. There's no Christian who is exempt from this. All Christians are called to live godly lives and to suffering. Those first four words in verse eight. Finally, all of you. Finally, he's. This is really interesting, isn't it? He's halfway through his book. He's halfway through the book of Peter. Finally, oh no, I think he's got a bit more. It's a long conclusion he's got coming up. But but Peter is. He's beginning to wrap up his letter. He's beginning to shift our, our mindset from submission to Christ to our suffering as Christ suffered. So there's a shift in this moment. Um, and uh, Peter is making it clear that godly living in what, whatever we'll face comes from all that he has said before, finally. Finally. All that I've said before, all that I mentioned about your inheritance, all that I've mentioned about hope in chapter 1, all that I've mentioned about cornerstones and Christ being the centre and submitting to Christ in chapter 2, all of that comes into play here. This is where it comes into play. So far, Peter's focus has been on submission as an act of godly living, and now he's pointing in the direction of suffering as our act of godly living. And this but he is he's not addressing just a select few of people. He's not hand picking a few people. His message is for all believers. Finally, all of you. All of you who would call Christ your King. All of you who would say, Oh no, Jesus is my cornerstone. If that's you, this applies to you, is what he's he's saying. There is no such thing as business class Christianity. We think that, that we, if I get on a flight, I can have business class and economy, and I think, oh, that's, that's where the good Christians are. That's where those who live godly lives are. Oh, they're in business. No, no, no. There is no business class. There's no business class Christianity. He's not talking to a select few people. He's not talking to people who are super holy. He's not talking to the professional Christians. No, no. All believers. He's addressing all people. Godly living, um, living godly lives in whatever we'll face is applicable to all who call Christ their salvation and their cornerstone. Back in chapters 1 and chapters 2. And if that's you, living godly lives in whatever we'll face, this applies to you this morning. Peter doesn't call someone, uh, Peter doesn't call some Christians to godly living in, in whatever they'll face and, and, and some. Not to. No, this is for all people. Don't count yourself out this morning. There is no business class Christianity. Yeah, this should be the mindset of all Christians. So living godly lives through whatever we'll face means all of us, but it also means blessing others counterculturally. Blessing others counterculturally. This means to bless other people even when it really sucks to do it. Even when it's really difficult to do it. End of verse 8 into verse 9. Be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Why should I do that? Because to this you are called. All Christians, this is what our calling is. So that you may inherit a blessing, that eternal life he's talked about in chapter one. Notice the opposites that are happening here. He's got that word, on the contrary. So, this insult, no, 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 not insult, blessing. That's what he's saying. Living godly lives is about blessing, even when it sucks to do it. And this is the opposite to what the world says. Totally, totally opposite. Totally countercultural. You can just films, alright? You can reel off a ton of films. So the born identity. He is into he's trying to seek retribution for the way he was treated in becoming in then making him an assassin. There was you got Black Panther, he's seeking retribution for his father and seeking payback there. You you've got Gladiator. Gladiator with Maximus. He's seeking justice and, and he wants to he wants to again pay back for the death of his son and wife. And in some ways rightly so, right? But my point is, that is the message. That is the message of the world, and that's where we as Christians are called to be counterculturally different. Repaying insults we receive with blessing. And that is really hard. That is I'm making out oh, that's, yeah, just repaying insult with blessing, it's fine. It's you can do that. That's, that's, no, this is hard, man. We struggle to get our heads around that. And then Peter, he's taking it, though, to the extreme. He's not saying if they do something bad to you, that you go, oh, it's okay, I love you. No, he, he, he's taking it to the extreme of to, when some when Christians aren't, you're not called to curse, but we are called to actively bless. We're called to go out and bless. Not just, just re- reactive. Yeah? To be reactive is to go, oh, you've thrown an insult at me, I'm going to now bless you. But it's to, to go out and bless. And even if insult comes back, it's to be proactive in our, in our blessing. So how do we actively bless those that we don't see eye to eye? That person that really winds you up. That person that you just... Mm, that person. yeah. If, if we are to live godly lives and whatever we'll face, we have to be on the front foot of loving others. I I, I think that Peter may have stolen this new idea um, from Jesus, possibly a close friend of his. Um, in, In Luke 6, Jesus says this, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. In modern society, Loving somebody is to emotionally and with a greater intensity like somebody. That, that's that's what, what loving is in our, in our society. But Peter, he, he doesn't interpret Jesus' command that way. That's not how he's looking at it. It, it. The love is not based on emotion or on a higher intensity of liking somebody, but on action, regardless of political, theological, social, moral positions that they might hold or they might not hold, it is, is actively going out and blessing those people. It's not easy, and we have to constantly go back and, and, and think about, how am I doing that? How do I actively go and bless somebody who really winds me up? Or, the other way around, you wind them up. Like, you're a pain in the butt. Like, how do we do that? And Peter gives us an example. In, in the Greek that he uses, um, he, he used the word to speak well of someone. That's what the, the Greek word in verse 9 he's using, is to speak well of someone. Peter is calling you to gossip, but positive gossip. He's calling you to positive gossip. Have you ever tried positive gossip? It's quite fun. Like, you do the same things that you do in gossiping, where you talk behind someone's back. That's... that's that's fine, but you talk really well of them. You talk about how great they are. You talk about what they're good at. Yeah. So we we um, this is this is countercultural gossiping. Yeah. Normally you're like, have you seen what she's wearing? Like, that's it's not that. It's have you seen what she's wearing? That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Ah, oh, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they said that. That's so good that they've done this, that or the other. Yeah, it's, it's, it's flipping. That is how we consciously, consciously um, go out and bless. Seeing them as somebody who is in the image of God. And we talk about them positively, even when we really don't feel like doing that. Even when it's hard to do that. It is countercultural and i just want you to imagine imagine a staff room where that's happening imagine a workplace where that was the norm where where they're just building one another up imagine you being that person imagine how much of a missional tool you will be in your workplace if you were known as the positive gossiper imagine what it would be like in a workplace environment like that so we are to counter-culturally bless people and, we'll, and, uh, and people will begin to notice something different and attractive about Christians because Christians are called to be different. We are called not to be the same with this world. We're called to be positive gossipers over the, um, just gossipers. And as Christians live godly lives, as we live out that, as we live out positive gossip, yeah, and in whatever we'll face, um, we become signposts of hope. Christians are called to be signposts of hope. Verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. This is an interesting phrase that Peter uses. It's interesting and it's challenging. First of all, it's interesting because um, we're called to, for people to see hope. But hope is invisible. Hope isn't something you can see or, or touch. It's invisible, but but interestingly, as Christians, we are the ones who make hope visible. We are the ones who shine hope and make it visible. So it's interesting, but it's also challenging, because how many people have asked you the reason for your hope recently? How many people have said, you seem really hopeful, why is that? How many people have noticed that you are living for your future hope, that Peter talks about back in chapter 1? It's challenging. Do we, Grace Church, do we, when we are out in the world, do we make hope visible or do we make hope miserable? (laughs) I mentioned speaking well of others a minute ago, talking about positive gossip. It's important to know that just as positive gossip is a tool for mission, our hope is as well. We can often think that being full of joy, being full of hope, being people who are hopeful, I don't live for this world, I live for future hope, that that can be unattractive to people. But I'm not fully convinced. Yeah? just as It's important to know that just as it's a tool, positive gossip is a tool, so too is our hope. And actually they can't be separated. You can't separate the two out. People who will see your hope because of your countercultural positive gossip. But also, the other way, we can't be, be people who go out to actively bless unless we know deep in our hearts the hope that we have and that we look forward to. But let's be real again, this is not easy. All that Peter says in this chapter is not easy. Positive gossip, talking about Jesus and uh, being, our, being our current hope, being our future hope. It's, it's not easy. It isn't. And sometimes it can feel embarrassing or a little bit cheesy. It can. And there are, there's different ways that we can approach a conversation about the hope we have. There's different ways that we can approach speaking to people about Jesus. Number one is run away. That's one, one way. Oh, so you're a Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we can do that. Um, we can Number two, we can have our conversion script ready. Oh, so you're a Christian? Yes, so I became a Christian when I was eight. And, 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 and lead, your, your plan is to lead them to Christ in that very moment. We can, we can come with that. Or we can do the best way, um, the better way, maybe not best way, better way, um, Jesus is the best way, um, is, is what Peter describes in verse 16. In gentleness and respect. That's how we're called to do it. That's how we're called to share our faith with people is with gentleness and respect. Do you know how we do that? We do that by listening. Listening to questions. Listening to people. Acknowledging the failures of the church in the past. Allowing, to, allowing relationship to build between two people. Allowing them to share their thoughts about church. It's a little bit weird, isn't it, you go to church? Yeah, it is a bit weird. It is. Also asking them questions. So what do, you, what do you think? Gentleness and respect is how we are to be signposts of hope. We can often shy away from being signposts of hope because people may have questions. People might have questions and the idea of being questioned about our faith and about our hope it just freaks us out and that's where we do the runaway yeah we can get freaked out we can get freaked out because we're like what if i don't know the answer what if they ask a really deep theological question i don't know the answer to i don't know i don't know we worry that we might get the answer wrong to people's questions we're worried because we know we know what we believe but sometimes we don't know why we believe that and so we're just like, I, I don't I don't it just is. God's three and one. He just is. That's that's a shampoo. Um, yeah, it's important that we know what we believe and why we believe it. A few ways we can we can do that. Commission training, level one training. They talk about the Trinity. They talk about the Three in one is not a shampoo. Yeah, they talk about that. They talk about, what, what is hell? Like, what is that? If Someone said to you, would you be equipped for that? You've got life groups. Life groups are a great tool. Someone's asked me this question, and I don't really know. Oh, I've got other believers who believe the same thing as me about Christ. Brilliant, I'll go and ask them. I'll go and talk to them. Can you just, someone asks you a question, oh, can you just bear with me? I just, I'm still learning. This is a journey for all of us. I just need to go and go and just chat with some guys I know. They'll be really helpful. Uh, and then you can go talk to them. Go talk to your life group. Oh, I had this question about Trinity. What does three and one mean? It's not shampoo. Um, and you can, you then go back and you say, here's some resources. Here's some, here's some people who might even be more equipped than I am to share that. But what I'm doing is I've built relationship. I'm doing it with gentleness and respect. <coughs> Reading your Bible. Oh, did you know that? Da, da, da. Did you know that the kings only appear once? In the, the three wise men are only in one of the Gospels. Why is that? Now you're going, are they? were they? Um, they were. But it's nothing to panic about, don't worry. Um but we do that because we read the Word. Someone can say that and you're like, oh, really? Really? That must mean that the Bible's not, not what it, what, it's, what God says it is. Oh, no. Oh, my faith is insecure. Oh, no. Oh, no. And we could do that. And no, we need to trust God's Word. You need to get into God's Word. Study it. Learn it. Grow in it. Um, and Commission Festival, like Luke was talking about, is so helpful. There are so many people more gifted than I am at talking about the Bible. Way more gifted that will equip you. Yeah, come along and be equipped by gifted Bible teachers, evangelists, people that know how to talk to non-Christians about the Bible. Yeah, those people, are just, be encouraged, come along. So far, um, we've, we've gone through a lot about living godly lives Sort of going to change tack a little bit. I'm going to focus a bit more on the second half um, of that in whatever we'll face. What will we face? What does it mean? Living godly lives in whatever we'll face means that we are treated. Christians are treated unjustly. There is unjust suffering. End of verse 16 into 17. Those who speak maliciously against your good behavior, your good your godly living in Christ may be ashamed of the slander, for it is Better to suffer for doing good than doing evil. I, I think it's important that we understand what, what is meant by suffering. Often when we talk about suffering, we can think martyrs. We can, we, we can think persecution. We can think you can't, you've got, you can't go to church on a Sunday morning. We think of the underground churches in, in China and, and places like that. Although Peter is he's touching on that a bit... He is touching on that on some level. I think mainly the book of One Peter is very much talking more into 21st century Bogner context than we than we realise. Yeah, he's addressing, here's some of the things. In chapter two, he addresses people who have been accused of stuff just because they're Christians. Being clumped together with other Christians. In chapter two again, ignorant talk about Christians. Oh, you're all the same, you Christians ignorant talk about Christians, evil insults towards the church, talking about the behaviour of Christians. Well, Christians did this, didn't they? Yeah, So you can just clump them together. The unjust suffering in 1 Peter comes much more in the form of a mockery, comes much more in the form of slurs about, about Christians. And in verse 13 to 14 and then 16 and 17, Peter concedes that even if we are doing positive gossip even if we're loving people on purpose even if we're caring for people even if we're signposts for hope even if we're doing justice to those around us and blessing people morally injustice comes to the Christian because of who we follow it's inevitable if we are just Ian's people yeah, people won't care but you put Christ in front, we become Christians. Yeah, people will notice. They do. They notice. People notice when we are a Christian. Remember, Jesus was the king of positive gossip. Jesus was the highest level of morality. Jesus, his behavior was exempt. He cared. He got alongside the poor and the needy. The broken, he, he loved them to pieces. And what did they do? They, they put nails through his hands and put him on a tree. Christians who live godly lives will face and should not be surprised by unjust suffering towards them. We shouldn't be surprised that people think differently to Christians. Shouldn't surprise us. So the question is, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with the unjust suffering that, that Christians have to deal with? How should we handle mockery from a, from a work colleague? How should I respond to the possibility of my life being quite uncomfortable or a little bit uncomfortable? How should I deal with it? Well, living godly lives in whatever we'll face means we journey through it with fearlessness. Fearlessness over fearfulness. Verse 13 to 14. Who is going to harm you? If you are eager to do good, on the whole, most people are are pretty okay with Christians, yeah? On the whole. But even if you should suffer, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. The greatest threat to being able to endure godly lives in the face of unjust suffering is fear. It's, it's fear of mockery, it's fear of embarrassment, it's fear of losing your family, it's fear of losing friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, jobs, careers, health, even your life. The, that, and that list is not insignificant. That is a significant list. Losing a family connection is mahusive. Losing a job has massive repercussions, Losing your life, that is the greatest loss a Christian can ex- a human can experience in the whole of our lives. And yet Peter reminds us there is no reason to fear. There is no reason to fear. Who can really harm us if our future inheritance is secure? If God has blessed us and he is, will bless us with a future inheritance, what is the worst outcome? Are you fearful this morning? Do you fear that the suffering you experience at the moment is going to crush you? Is that where you're at? Just fear oh, it's just gonna be too much. Do you fear that following Jesus might bring some uncomfortable complications? Or do you fear that you're at a crossroads is coming in your job or your relationship because you are a Christian? If you are Hear Peter's encouragement in verse 14 and 15. This is a, this is a paraphrasing of Isaiah that he is, he is giving in, in verses 14 and 15. Peter is encouraging us to fear God. Not be frightened of him, not be like, oh, he's gone, ah, run away. No, 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 but to love him above anything else. That's what it means to fear God. So that he, so in fearing God, in loving him above anything else, that he... Becomes our safe place. He is our sanctuary. He is the safest of places. And you can say, oh, that's nice for you. But how will thinking that God, of God that way, that he is my safest place, that he is my sanctuary, how on earth is that going to help me and my fears? How? how, how? Well, let's let's take it to the extreme, all right? What is the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing. Thing that can happen in our life is that we die 1 Corinthians 15 talks of this because of Christ where o oh, death is your victory where o oh, death is your sting the sting of death is sin but thanks be to God he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ Tim Keller a A theologian recently died of of cancer. It doesn't really get much worse in in our minds than that. And he held on to this. He held on to that truth. And this is what he says uh, about fearing God over fearing suffering. All that death can do to the Christian is make their life infinitely more glorious. Fearlessness of suffering comes when we dare to imagine that the worst that can happen cannot happen. Fearlessness of suffering comes when we dare imagine that the worst that can happen cannot happen. Yes, our body will decay, our our, our bones and our flesh will go, but we live forever forever future inheritance that we have that is secure. That is the life of a Christian. Death is dead. On on Good Friday, death died. Death is no more. The worst possible suffering outcome that can happen to a human being, that can happen to a Christian, it can no longer happen. We might perish and fade and fail away, but we live in eternity with him forever. If we are to live godly lives in all that we face, and we do that without fear, we must be assured that Christ has gone ahead. That Christ has gone ahead and he has completed it already. We are to, as Christians, hold on to Christ's complete work. That's what we are to do. If we are to live godly lives, it's not about I've got to keep the rules, I've got to make sure I'm positively gossiping, I've got to do all of that. No, 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 no. no. Christ has gone ahead. We are following, we are imitators of Christ. Christian means little Christ. We are following Jesus. Our suffering, our conduct, our lack of fear, it only comes from what we know and is described in verses 18 to 22. If you were to look in detail at verses 18 to 22, there, there are some oddities in there. There's a few things that might spark up some thoughts and some questions. And um, we could spend uh, our whole time on interpretations of verse 19 to 22. We could talk about baptism and, and what Christ was doing during Easter Saturday. We could talk about that. Uh, helpfully, John uh, Martin Luther, um, a famous theologian again, he said, uh, I still don't know for sure what the apostle meant, so that should hopefully give you some hope. But the main problem in understanding it is because Peter is using images and he's using examples that, that are sort of alien to our thinking today. That's where the, where the, where the problem comes. But that's not the main point. And that's not what Peter's trying. He's not trying to give you a little theological divot that you have to try and work out. No, no, he, he, the main point he's trying to get is that we can, that we can so easily focus on, uh, on on debates rather than what he is he is saying. If you if you want to read some more uh, helpful commentary, it's by Karen Jobes. Um, on, on 1 Peter, very very helpful on this area, so I'll leave you to read that if you want to know more. But, but the point Peter is making is about Christ's complete work. That's his point. That's what he wants you to see. That's what he wants you to know deep down in your heart and his victory for you on our behalf. By reminding us of baptism, by reminding us of Christ's resurrection, Peter helps us to picture our complete and utter union with Christ. That, that we are in him, that he is in us, that we are, we are in some, some sort of dance together through this life. That's what union with Christ is. He is emphatically pointing to Christ's completeness. Christ's completeness is our completeness. Christ's victory is our victory. Christ's future inheritance is our future inheritance. It is because of what Jesus has done. He is emphatically pointing to Christ's incompleteness which is ours. We are united with Christ in our life. We are united with Christ in our death. We are united with Christ in our resurrection. It's, it's so important. And as we adventure through life, living godly lives, in what, whatever is to come and in whatever we'll face, and because of baptism and Christ's resurrection, it is a reminder that Christ is the one who runs ahead. Christ is the one who has gone before. He is the one to whom we are baptised into union with. It is Christ who we are baptised into. He is the example of unjust suffering he was put on a cross as a criminal. Couldn't get more unjust than that. He is the example of repaying evil with good. He gives future inheritance to those who put nails in his hands. He is the example of fearlessness over fearless and fearfulness in the Garden of Gethsemane. Please take this cup from me if it's not my will but yours. I'll follow you nonetheless. Fearlessness over fearfulness. He is our example. He is the des- destination. We, we are just signposts of hope. He is the destination of hope. He is where we look to. He is the completeness that all of humanity need. All people need. None of us can live godly lives no matter how much we try, no matter how much effort we put in, whatever we'll face, no matter how hard. Because we're going to fall short, but Christ has completed it. Christ is our completeness, and we are just, we're just following his example and worshipping as we do it. Yet, his godly living, in all he faced, was complete when ours was incomplete. He can only, we can only live godly lives in whatever we'll face, because God faced life and death for us. Amen? Why don't we stand? We, we want to have a bit of more time singing this morning. Band are going to come up. We're going to spend some time just seeking God. While I was preparing, I felt just... There's, so, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in that list. But I feel there's many, many this morning... And you're, you're at a place where you are just struggling through mud. You're just godly living, man, I'm just trying to live. And there's people this morning who, and you're just like, I can really relate to the whatever we'll face. You're just like, I'm facing this, I'm facing pain, I'm facing illness, I'm facing um, people being really snide to me at work because I'm a Christian. I just feel that there's a lot of people who can relate this morning. And I just want the Holy Spirit to, to work, to be at work this morning. I want the Holy Spirit to encourage you this morning. So why don't you, where you stand, why don't you just, why don't you just come to God? We don't, we don't necessarily need music to, to get us in this place. Let's just come to God. We've got time. I want to make time this morning for us to come and just experience his Holy Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, come. I pray, Holy Spirit, will you bring encouragement. I pray, Holy Spirit, will you bring healing. I pray, Holy Spirit, will you bring fearfulness, fearlessness. I pray, God, for you. So you just open hearts this morning just as I've been preaching I feel there's people this morning who are just like amening bits and they're amening bits that they just feel yep that's me if that's you why don't you just open your hands out why don't you just open yourself up to God this morning and opening our hands is just a sign that I'm just open to you God I'm just open to what you want to do in my life. And just, will not you start to pray where you are. Why don't you start to pray for the Holy Spirit to, to speak to you, to encourage you, to equip you. Come, Holy Spirit. Um Holy Spirit, bring encouragement where encouragement is needed. Bring compassion where compassion is needed. yeah, I just feel God wants to um bring godly wisdom. And um, it speaks in the Bible about how God's wisdom can look like foolishness to this world. just feel for some people in the situations they're facing, even now, God's going to give you wisdom about how to respond, about what to do, about how to be in those situations. And it might not look like you think it's going to look. It may not look like human wisdom in that situation but by Holy Spirit he just wants to give you his wisdom why don't you start to bless you why don't you start to pray where you are if you feel anything this morning just touch you why don't you just pray why don't you just thank God for who he is what a great place to start start to Thank God for who he is. So to thank God for what he's done. If you're somebody just struggling, thinking, I've got to live a godly life, I've got to live a godly life, now Christ completed it. Just thank him for that. Thank God that Christ has fulfilled what we cannot fulfill. somebody who's just so fearful of what is to come, fearful of what is next. Just thank God that his fearlessness took him to the cross and t- brought you with him. I just thank him for that. Start with praise. Start with fixing your eyes on the King.